are not safe around you, the greatest need that you have is today to start building a safe environment. And that's what we're going to show you. We're going to show you some secrets of, that most people don't even realize. Their marriages are in trouble. They need to know these secrets. Nobody in all of our society is teaching them these secrets. And that's why marriages are falling apart all the time. And, you know, I've, I've, I tell a lot of folks in premarital counseling that part of the, the problem is it takes more training and, and more um, state certification to become a plumber, not that there's anything wrong with that, than it does to get married. There's something wrong with that picture, right? Because, you know, if my toilet doesn't work, that's a problem. But if my marriage doesn't work, that affects generations. So we've got to figure this out and, and how to move back up this, this marriage map. And so that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to ask God to resurrect some marriages. We're going to ask God to apply His supernatural power, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, to marriages. And if you're not married yet, we're going to pray for your future marriage, that, that God will bless you and give you the wisdom to pick the right type of people <laughs> and, and so that you can have this marriage that honors God. Now, we said that the first secret, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we looked at it last week, but the first secret is to forgive. And uh, here's a quote that I came across this week that I wanted to, to share with you. When you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set the prisoner free, but you discovered that the real prisoner was yourself. A friend of mine uh, called me this week and let me know that he has a brain tumor. And the number one need he has in his life is to get rid of the brain tumor. And forgiveness, unforgiveness is this malignant tumor that eats you alive, that keeps you prisoner to the past. It doesn't keep the other person prisoner. It keeps you prisoner. And you've got to learn to forgive. And here's the thing that nobody teaches us. Forgiveness has nothing to do with feelings. Forgiveness is all about a choice. And when I struggle with forgiveness, what I do is, is I either physically put on the television screen or on the computer screen a picture of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, bleeding for my sins, and I look at Him and I say, my sins did this to you. And with a look of compassion, Jesus looks back at me and He says, I forgive you. And by the power of that transaction, I can then look at anything you've done to me which can't possibly be as bad as what I've done to Christ, and I can then say to you, I forgive you. There's nothing you can do to me that's worse than what I've done to Christ. And the power to forgive is simply because I look at Christ and He gives me that supernatural power. It is not natural. It's natural not to forgive. It's supernatural to forgive. So when I get God's power, then I can release you, which really in turn releases me, and our, our relationship can go where we want it to go. If we do not forgive, if I do not forgive or you do not forgive me, our relationship is doomed. We will go further and further down the marriage mountain. Whether that's, a, whether that's in marriage or any other relationship, if we do not learn to forgive one another, we will never get to a healthy, safe relationship. And, and the other side of that is when you learn to forgive, your relationships actually go deeper. And that's what everybody wants, I think. So forgiveness begins to move you back to the top. Now, let's look at a second secret. We're going to look at three more secrets today that if you'll apply these to your marriage or in any, any relationship where there needs to be uh, safety, where you need to move back towards the top of the mountain, these will help you get there. The, first, the second one is serve. All right, if you've been married any time, I want you to think back to your wedding day. Mine was 16 and a half years ago. If you've never been married, then think forward to your future 
wedding day. I remember being totally clueless, standing there in my tuxedo, looking at my beautiful wife and her bright blue eyes. I sang to her, um, and I don't even remember the ceremony. My brother did the ceremony, and I remember looking at her and making all these promises that I had no clue what they meant. And, uh, and honestly, if you think about your wedding day, you're looking into the eyes of this wonderful person that you're so madly in love with, and the last thing on your mind is, I'm going to serve them. Right? Because in your mind, you're thinking, this person gets me. This person is going to devote the rest of their life to meeting my needs. Yeah! And then you go on the honeymoon, and then maybe later, some of you have said, you know, within hours of the relationship starting, you know, the, the pastor or the whoever's saying I do, uh, leading you in that, hours later, you remember going, oh, dude, this is nothing like what I signed up for. Shoot. What am I going to do now? And, and you've got to learn to serve because... Did your, did your spouse become your servant? <laughs> Somebody said, yeah. And uh, now you're in trouble because when you get home, you're going to get smacked. Um, more than likely, you were thinking about your needs and not the other needs. And the most healthy marriages I know are the folks who have learned to serve one another. Now, what many marriages fall into at this point when they realize this is not the person I thought they were, this is not what I expected, my needs are not being met, what this marriage falls into is the 50-50 plan. 50-50 plan. You ever heard about that? I'm going to give 50%. You're going to give 50%. And we think that 50 plus 50 equals what? 100%. Now, this plan says, if you meet my needs, I'll meet you halfway. If you help me out, I'll meet you halfway. And we'll have this big, wonderful marriage. But if, um, if I'm having to keep score about how far you've come, that implies that marriage is a game to be what? One. And when there's a game to be won, I'm tempted to win. And when I'm tempted to win in my... I'm tempted to cheat. Somebody said that, yeah. Well, that works. When I'm tempted to win in my marriage, because the Bible says that, that when you get married, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and, the, and cling to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When you become one flesh and you are the participant in the sport, but you're also the opponent to yourself, when you win, you lose. Guys, just get that in your mind. Most of you have already figured that out. Even if you win the argument, you lose. And something that we've got to do is, is we've got to learn how to figure this out. Um, Dennis Rainey is a marriage expert, and here's what he says. It is impossible to determine if your spouse has met you halfway because neither of you can agree on where halfway is. Each is left to scrutinize the other's performance from his or her own jaded perspective. Now, I want to share with you a marriage situation from this book, Six Secrets to a Lasting Love by uh, Dr. Gary and Barb Rosberg. And here's what it says. Ben and Carrie both grew up watching their mothers get trampled by demanding husbands. So when Ben and Carrie married, they vowed that they would evenly divide all tasks and responsibilities between them. Household work would be split down the middle. They insisted that their 50-50 relationship would be 100% fair. You think it worked? 
instead of creating a safe environment for love to flourish, they fight over who last washed the dishes or did the laundry or cooked. Check this out. Carrie's weekend with her college roommates is matched minute for minute and dollar for dollar by Ben's hunting trip with his buddies. Now, from the outside looking in, I want you to, to just rate. Just what little I've given you, I want you to rate their marriage. Here it is. Great, good, mediocre, or headed for trouble? Headed for trouble. The goal of this marriage is to keep everything even. And, and there's no way trust or intimacy or safety can grow when you're keeping a tally sheet of how many minutes you've been watching the kids or how much money she spent on shoes. If anything, distrust, distrust grows. So, if 50-50 is not the answer, then what is the answer? Do what? There you go. And, and actually, I'm going to start this here. The answer is... 100%. And I'm not going to put the other half of the equation yet because I'm not dealing with your spouse. I'm dealing with you. You give 100% with no thought of whether they give 100% and amazing things will begin to happen in your marriage. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, and, and this is a verse that a lot of guys, you hear guys all the time say, the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. Well, it gets to that, but before it ever gets to that, here's what it says in verse 21. You will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we're going to play, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Real quick, right here. All right? This sentence, all right, it's up there. You will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Is this sentence declarative, imperative, interrogative, or exclamatory? You hush. I had to learn this from Caleb this morning. Now, declarative is just a statement, a simple statement. Uh, interrogative, interrogative, is a question. Exclamatory is what? That's like, whoa, dude! You know, that's, that's, a, that's a exciting, yeah. It's, it's your feelings. It is imperative. Imperative is a command. So there's no suggestion in this. You will submit to who? One another out of reverence for Christ. And this is talking to husbands and wives. So I submit to my wife. Most guys have never even learned what that means. I submit to my wife. Why? Because she's better than me? No, because Jesus Christ said, you submit to one another. Now, in a 50-50 marriage, there's only room for husband and wife. All right? 50-50 marriage. And we are trying to figure out where the middle point is. And it fluctuates because she thinks it's one place, I think it's another place. 50-50 marriage doesn't work because I can only give so much, she can only give so much. There's only two people and we are on opposite sides of the equation. But in a 100% marriage, what happens is you add the third part of the triangle and that's God. And as the husband moves closer towards God and the wife moves closer towards God, what happens to the distance between them? Ah, it gets closer. So 100% marriage is 
I have to move closer to God. She has to move closer to God. We get closer to one another. Because in a 50-50 marriage, there's a limited number of minutes in the day and dollars in the bank account. And my job in a 50-50 marriage is to make sure I get enough of them and you don't get too many of them. But in a 100% marriage, I submit to my wife out of reverence for Christ. And then I continue to read in Ephesians chapter 5. You wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Is that imperative, declarative, interrogative? Uh. <laughs> For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to be her Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands and everything. How many times did that just say, you wives submit to your husbands and everything? How many times did it say that? In that verse. Twice! Yes! I love that. Wives, submit to your husbands. But if you go back to verse 21. Dang! I'm supposed to submit to her before she ever submits to me. Ah, then I keep reading. Verse 25. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed for the church. He gave his life for her. A great marriage is a, is a marriage of three. Husband, wife, and God. And guys, how in the world am I going to love my wife like, like Christ loved the church? If I don't know Christ if I've never read His Word, if I never attend church, because church is the bride of Christ, and don't tell me that you love Christ and you hate His bride. That doesn't work. That math doesn't work. If I'm not spending consistent time in the Bible, I can't know how Christ loved the church. If I'm not spending consistent time in church, serving, learning, praying, giving, there's no way I can become the person God wants me to be, so I can't love my wife the way Christ loved the church. There's all these pieces of the puzzle that I cannot figure out on my own. And I shared these statistics with you, and, and I went back and, and referenced them uh, so I'd know exactly where they came from. I shared these last week. They came from Marriage and Divorce magazine several years ago, a national survey done by Harvard University, you know, that little school up in the east. They discovered that in America the divorce rate was one out of three. Now, the reason it's, it's lower than it used to be, you know, you know why there's fewer divorces? Less marriages, more people are living together. So when you, when you break up when you're living together... Um, there's no statistic kept. Uh, the government agencies don't keep that. They just keep the marriage statistics. So one out of every three marriages ends in divorce. Here, Now check this out. When a couple is married in a church ceremony, it drops to one out of 50 ending in divorce. Just being married in a church ceremony. When a couple is married in a church ceremony, attend church regularly, they pray together, and they read the Bible together, the divorce rate drops to one out of 1,105 marriages. I did the math. That's percent of the marriages where they are both learning about Christ, where they're reading the Bible together, praying together on a daily basis, and going to church together on a weekly basis. 0.000905%. And I said last week, I've never stood in front of a couple who said, this is a temporary arrangement. This is just for a little convenience. Everybody has the intention of living together for a lifetime. The problem is we don't have the tools. We don't understand how to do that. And so, again, if you're divorced, if you're in, in a marriage that, that you're way down the marriage map, we are not at all trying to condemn you. The whole purpose of this series is looking at future behavior. The one who accuses you is the enemy, and he's the one that wants you tied to the past. The one who is more interested in your future is the one who raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. 
He wants us to learn from our past. In fact, your area of ministry is probably going to come from the greatest mistakes you've made in your life. Come check out Celebrate Recovery sometime and you'll see what happens there. If you get into small groups and people begin to share their stories, wise people learn from their mistakes, but the wisest people I know learn from the mistakes of others from the mistakes of others because we don't have enough time to make all the mistakes in the world. Spread them around. Learn from other people. <laughs> I've made enough of my, on my own and, and I can learn from you. Share those deepest, darkest secrets and God's going to give you a ministry to other people who are in the same situation because one of the number one things the enemy does is he says, you're the only one. Keep it quiet. And if you go to church... For God's sake, don't tell anyone that you have problems. That's so totally opposite to what the Scripture says. Scripture says, be open and honest with your faults. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? So that you may be healed. The reason many people are not healed is because they are not confessing their sins to one another. You keep it inside, it's a malignant tumor. You begin to confess it, it shrinks in size, it shrinks in power... When it comes out into the light, then God cleanses us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. You see how God works? I think about 80% of marriages, the problems in marriages, would go away if we just did this next verse. Philippians 2.4 Look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. You know what the number one problem in marriages is? Selfishness. Serve my needs and forget about yours. And I just got to tell you, you know, I've been a pastor now for five and a half years. I was in youth ministry for 19 years and I've done a ton of marriage counseling, premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, all kinds of counseling. And, and here, here is the decision that I've made just recently. I've drawn a line in the sand and here's what I'm going to say. If you come to me and you ask me for marriage counseling and you are unwilling to attend church regularly, if you're unwilling to read your Bible, if you're unwilling to pray with your spouse, I'm going to tell you I don't have time to mess with that. Because if you're not willing to work on the things that you need to work on, why am I going to sacrifice time for my family in order to spend time with you? I believe God has called me to help marriages succeed. That's part of my calling in life. But if you're not going to do anything, you're not going to listen to what I say anyway, so what does it matter? I would rather spend time building my marriage, hanging out with my kids, than spending time with selfish people who don't want to do squat. They want some magic pill that will make all the boo-boos go away. You don't get back up to the top of the marriage mountain, the marriage map, with a little magic pill. You overcome inertia. Remember inertia? That's a little bit past fifth grade, right? An object in motion remains in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. An object at rest remains at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. If you've ever been on a mountain, a steep mountain, and you're going downhill, which is the easiest way to go? Downhill. Inertia will take you downhill. It is natural for your marriage to drift downhill. There's nothing wrong with that. Just acknowledge it and realize it's going to take some inertia to overcome that and move back up the hill. And I tell folks all the time, even if your spouse will not go to marriage counseling, you go because you can make a difference. And then even if the marriage does end in divorce, God has begun healing you and preparing you for something in the future. This makes sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you. 
Well, some of you are going, okay, look out for others' interests. Yeah, I can do that. Well, we're going to be real specific today. How can you look out for others' interests? Here we go. This is on your listening guide. For the men, guys, you need a roadmap. Here we go. This is it. You start doing this this week. Do it until Christmas, or actually until January 1st. I guarantee several things. Number one, your marriage will move back up the map. Number two, your sex life will improve. And the guy's like, hot dog. Your marriage is going to get better. You do this. Number one, ask her, how can I help you? I'm giving you time to write that. How can I help you? Then get off your butt and do it. it it's not the thought that counts. Hey, baby, what do you need done? And then you sit there watching your football game. You're moving further down the mountain fast. You're picking up speed. <laughs> That's what DVR is for. That's right. They show that stupid commercial where she comes in and she's initiating sex and he doesn't know, should he watch the game? Or I'm like, goodness, he needs help. Um, number two, be present. Now, here's what I said. I, I'm, I'm going to leave this open, but here's the answer that I gave. Be present from 6 to 8 p.m. or however long it takes if you have children to get the kids in bed. Here's what be present means. Not I'm sitting there like a lump on, bump on a log watching TV while she does all the work in the house. You ask your wife, baby, what do you need me to do? Because my wife needs me to help, well, not so much anymore, but she needed me to help get the kids in bed because that was major chore every night. Brushing teeth, going to the bathroom, getting the jammies on. We're at a new stage of life because my job now... Janie will say to me, would you tell the kids to go to bed? Because if she tells them, they're like, she doesn't mean it. <laughs> but if they hear my voice, I, I just sit there like a bump on a log. Hey! Yes, sir. Brush teeth. Yes, sir. <laughs> they go filing in the bathroom. She goes, how do you do that? I say, time for bed. Yes, sir. <laughs> they go in their rooms. If she says it, no, no joke. They'll wander back out. And sometimes if I'm not paying attention, they'll wander back out. I said, what are you doing? Uh, I need to tell Mama something. You better tell me. I'll go to bed, you know, and they'll go back in the room. <laughs> so you ask her what she needs, you do it, but you also be present. When I was in youth ministry, there's lots of nights when we would have to be gone during the week. Here was my rule. I am home four nights a week no matter what. And in a Baptist church, you're already there Sunday night and Wednesday night, and then if you do any youth activity, go to a football game, whatever, that's three nights, you're done. You need to be home more nights than you're gone if you want to build trust in your marriage and build safety. Number three, compliment and support her in front of others. We'll get to this again in a second, especially the kids. 4A... Talk to her about decisions and acknowledge her opinions. This is not acknowledging her opinions. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's stupid. Uh, and, and going to 4B, work for a win-win solution. A win-win solution is you both walk away feeling good about that decision. If you are here and she is here and you cannot budge, then you have to work for this point where both of you are moving towards the center 
And many times, Janie and I have kept talking, kept talking, kept talking until we come to an alternative neither one of us have thought about and we both go, that's a lot better than my idea. And we walk away feeling neither one has lost, but we both win. Number five, never, never, never criticize or compare her to others in public or in private because she will never forget it. Don't compliment another man's wife. Don't say, I wish you were like. You are the dumbest man on the face of the planet if those words come out of your mouth. Can I say that any stronger? Now, for women, all right, make alone time with him a priority. This includes dates. Where am I going next? Sex and recreational companionship. I just got to tell you, he can be stopped by a police officer on the way home. He can get fired from his job. He can have a flat tire. The dog can hike its leg and wet on his shoe. And if he walks in the door and you desire him sexually, he can conquer the world. That is the way... I'm telling you. If, if, if my wife desires me, everything else in my life can fall apart and I'm okay because I'm invincible because my wife desires me wants to be with me, whether that's sexually or she just wants to hang out with me. That's the coolest thing in the world, ladies. Number two, tell him what you need. Now, we've said that marriage is not a game, so you're not trying to win. Well, if marriage is not a game, do not play the if you don't know what's wrong, I'm not going to tell you game. Remember what I said to him? The stupidest thing you could ever do is to criticize. Well, the dumbest thing you can ever do, ladies, well, one of them, is to say, I'm not telling you what's wrong. I got real quiet real fast. Okay, let's move on. Number three, praise Him. In Ephesians 5.33 it says this, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. If you boil down all of the New Testament teaching on marriage, and you just look at this verse, look what the number one thing it says that a man needs from his wife is. You see it? Respect. And then what is the number one thing that a wife needs from her husband? Love. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. When you, and this comes back to number five, never criticize, but when you criticize your husband, you are emasculating him. You are knocking him down. You are verbally, many of you will verbally rape your husband in front of others and then wonder why he shuts off his heart from you. Sorry, I jumped to number five. Uh, Number four, be curious rather than critical of his hobbies. (laughs) All that means is ask questions. It is the coolest thing in the world when my wife asks me about my hobbies. Instead of going, you going to do that stupid thing, wasting time away from your family and kids again? That's not what I'm talking about. And then the last one, number five, never criticize or compare him in public or private. You've heard that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That stupid saying was invented by somebody who'd been hurt by words and needed a comeback. (laughs) Verbal scars last, and sometimes those wounds never heal. Now, if if those lists look familiar to you, yay, you're winning, you're moving up the marriage mountain. If they look totally foreign to you, (laughs) that's why your marriage is in trouble or your relationships are in trouble because you're not doing those things.
All right, let's look at a third secret very quickly. Commitment. I told you that I, all the time I'll tell Janie, every, every marriage, um, every anniversary, I'll say, well, I'll give you 50, you know, we're at 16, 34 more to go. But she knows that I'm in this for the long haul. And one of the things that we bought one another early in our marriage are these little precious moments things. I got her this one, I don't even remember, two or three, four years into the marriage, and it shows this little dude, cute little guy. That means nothing, the, the cute little thing, but it does everything for my wife. So this cute little guy, you see what he's doing? He's got a little wedding ring on. He's pointing to it. You know what he says? I still do. And so this was before kids. I gave this to her and I said, I would still choose you. I still, all those things we made promises, I still do those. So a couple years later, she gets the girl so that we can have this happy little set. <laughs> and she's pointing at her ring and it says, I still do. Oh, isn't that nice? I'll probably kick those and get in so much trouble. Um, yeah, I'll break them. Commitment says that our marriage is bigger than anything we're going to go through. You do not have to worry about the trials of life tearing us apart. Commitment is what's going to save us. Now, there are three C's in, in marriage that you need. First C, that's commitment. I'm going to let you, you know, write this out. Commitment says, I'm going to be with you regardless. Then the second C is communication. All right, one, two, communication. How many of you have trouble with communication sometimes? The rest of you are lying. We're not communicating right now because we have communication problems. When communication breaks down, refer back to number one. What's number one? Commitment. And the third thing is compassion. Compassion says, I feel what you feel. Now, knowing that men and women are so radically different, sometimes I have no idea what my wife is feeling. She tells me, sometimes I just need to cry. And that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. My brother told me in our pre-marriage counseling, he said, sometimes you just need to hold her and let her cry. So I do. You know, I'll pet her, pat her, just cry, baby. And she's boohooing. I have no idea what she's going through. But I acknowledge. Compassion also means to acknowledge her feelings. I say, because <laughs> have you ever had somebody tell you that your feelings are wrong? How are your, your feelings may actually be wrong, but that's how you're feeling. So when you invalidate someone's feelings, you invalidate them. So compassion is your third C. And when compassion breaks down, you know what you do? You refer back to number one. What was number one? Commitment. Three C's that will help you through anything in marriage. Now, let's get to the fourth secret. Guard your marriage. I want to read you something from Dr. Rosberg's book. This is a letter written to Dr. Rosberg. She says, If you lined up five million women, I'd be the last one you would suspect to have an affair. I was a pure woman. My eyes never looked at another man. I helped lead a Bible study for women facing marital struggles. I was with these women through pain in their marriages and even separations. But I was different. I was faithful and true. When we finally purchased a computer, I found that the Internet contained so many interesting places. I could look up vacation spots, read newspapers. These were all good things, nothing evil. I never realized that I was only a, cl a click away from destruction. One day I signed up for a chat room. I chose a clean one, not a porn room. I wanted to just go and see what was going on. Almost immediately, a man began talking to me. He paid attention to me and had an insightful response to every word I wrote. 
I continued to meet this man in the chat room even though I knew it was wrong. The relationship seemed innocent. We just talked about family and life. Soon we progressed to phone calls. I loved communicating with him. He cared so much. After some time, we decided to meet. We were in love, or so we thought. After telling my husband I was meeting some girlfriends, I took off and hooked up with this man for what I thought would be a romantic weekend getaway. It wasn't at all what I expected, and suddenly everything came crashing down. I had betrayed my husband and my family. My careless involvement with the Internet nearly destroyed my marriage. I became addicted, and it eventually led to an affair. I have regretted the day when, with one click of the mouse, I entered a downward spiral of sin and deception. I failed to build a fence of protection around my marriage. I didn't guard my heart. I want you to see what Proverbs 4.23 says. Above all else, guard your what? Heart. For it affects everything you do. Where your mind goes, your body will follow. Where your emotions go, your body will follow. And, and I don't know how many of you have had flats before. When I was in high school, it's like every week I had a flat on this little piece of junk pickup that I had. And it, obviously the tires were worse than the pickup because it really was about once a week. And, and I would have these tires that would have these slow leaks. And, you know, you got to where you could figure out after about three or four days they were going to go down. Well, if you've seen a tire go flat eventually through these slow leaks, that's what's happen- happening in a lot of marriages. You have an affection leak, and eventually your marriage goes flat, and eventually you start down the hill, the marriage map towards destruction, towards emotional divorce, if not physical divorce if you're married. Wherever your heart goes, your body follows, and you need to guard at all costs your marriage, your affection, your heart. And so if you need to build a castle that keeps people out and build a moat around that castle that keeps anyone but your spouse out, then you better do it or you'll never get back to that dream stage at the top of your mountain. Now, 